media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Philippians 4.8 as we continue our travels through Philippians. Today we cover one of the spiritual truths that may be one of the most important spiritual truths that we really begin to understand about spiritual life. Now, I, I think I could probably prompt every sermon by that, but I really, really, really mean it this morning because it's talking about this, how the mind is a spiritual battlefield. Uh, would you agree just with that statement that your mind is a spiritual battlefield? And this morning we're going to see what God says about that. It, it, battles that are fought every single day right up here. Victories and defeats are experiencing, uh, are experienced constantly in our mind. What happens in the mind is a direct bearing of what happens in the heart. The scripture proves that out. It connects the mind and the heart continually through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and yet the mind is one of those fabulous creations of, of God. It is just really kind of amazing. Uh, that something that weighs about three pounds uh, governs the whole rest of the body. Uh, scientists say that now uh, that we have 100 billion neur- neurons that fire off in our daily thinking. And they did a study a couple years ago. I don't know how you study this and how you measure this, but they say that most of us have 70,000 thoughts a day. It can be on the lower end of 10,000 thoughts, but in this study that came out, scientific, it wasn't just a, you know, a YouTube thing. Uh, it truly was by scientists, and they discovered this, and they said, you know, that, that we have as many as 70,000 thoughts a day. No wonder the Bible constantly talks about the importance of our thought life and the role that it plays in the Christian walk. And when we left Philippians last week, we saw the Apostle Paul he, he issued both a prescription for worry and anxiety, and he also gave a promise. And it wasn't Paul's prescription. It wasn't Paul's promise. It was God's. Paul was just relating. This is what God has said about those who battle with anxiety and worry. And one thing that we covered last week is that all of us, on different levels, battle with worry and anxiety. What worries me may not worry you. What you battle with may not be my battle. But all of us on some level deal with worry and anxiety. And yet there was two numbers that the Bible gave us, if you remember from last week, that worry about nothing, 0%, and pray about everything, 100%. And it didn't say, you know, as long as you're doing 20, 80, or 50, 50, or 80, 20. You know, no, it gives us this command that we think is impossible to live out. And yet I don't believe that God has done this to put a weight upon our shoulders. Through his prescription and through his promise, we find out that very much that God has given us opportunity to truly have his peace. Let's look again before we get to verse 8. Let's look at verse 7 again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you remember from last week, we painted this mental picture of that word to guard. It means to put a sentry. It means to always be there protecting. And that's the promise of what God has said, that through Christ and his victory and through the Holy Spirit, that he will guard our hearts and our minds through that victory. 
And so it takes the pressure off of you and I to, to sit there and say, okay, we have to be the ones that are victorious. No, we just have to be in the midst and in the grasp of the victory that Christ has already won. And so we, how do we do that? How do we get to experience this peace? And, and why do we get that peace? We said last week it was based on two things. That is because it is Christ, it is based on the supremacy of Christ. Do we really believe that Christ trumps everything? Do we really believe that? I mean, make a good bumper sticker if you just wanted to put that, but, but do we really believe that Christ truly trumps everything? So it's based on the supremacy of Christ, but also the sufficiency of Christ. Do we really truly believe that through his victory, he's given us not only spiritual victory in our lives, we went from death to life, but that he also can give us daily peace, even in lives that seemingly are just loaded with problems and troubles. See, this is one of the biggest disconnects of Christian life, where God has said something, and we kind of believe it, but are we experiencing it? And guys, there's going to be highs and lows. We've said all along that if we had to map out and chart our spiritual life, it would be a roller coaster that would make all those roller coasters at Six Flags look like child's play. (laughs) Up and down, up and down. And we've all been there. And yet this prescription and this promise based on the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ is something that God wants us to have. So let me stop right here and ask. Do you believe that those two truths, that is, the supremacy of Christ, and the sufficiency of Christ. Do you believe that they can bring about the promise that God had in verse 7, that the peace from God can surpass all understanding? Do you believe that? And yet would you say that depending on what the problem is, there's times of great faith and there's times of challenged faith. We're just say challenged. Because that's really what it comes down to, guys. It's this thing called faith. It's one of these things, this is the human element of believing the things of God, even though God has stated them. Our faith doesn't make them true. They're true without our faith. Is is Christ supreme without you? Is he sufficient without your faith? No, it's our participation in the truth that we already acknowledge that God is made well known through his word and through the person of Christ. And so this is where our battle comes in. It's a battle of faith. It's a battle that goes off in the mind. And we say that these truth truths can guard our minds and are true, but only if we believe them, only if as we place trust in them. Again, I'm a numbers guy, so if I place 25% trust, I'm probably getting 25% of the piece. I don't know that it works exactly that way, but I can think I can make a direct correlation by all the things that God has said about how faith and then the promises of God being acted in our life are really, they, they work in this ebb and flow together. Not your position in Christ. Remember we saw last week that this is not a salvation text. This is a sanctification text. He's not saying you only get to go to heaven if you do these things. Knows what he's saying is now that you are a Christian and he's writing to Christians, your position is secure in the finished work of Christ. But now as you experience daily life and you ride this roller coaster of faith, here's how to increase that faith. Here's that experience, the peace of God. See, Christ doesn't stop being supreme just because I doubt. Christ does not stop being sufficient just because I lack faith. 
Look at the next verse. Look what Paul says now in connection. And even though we've preached this over four, five weeks, this was all written together. Paul, Paul wrote this as, as a thought process, as truth all together, okay? And we'll try to connect it all back together this morning. Look what he says in verse 8. What's the first word? Finally. He's not saying finally, hey, the sermon's almost over. What he's saying is finally, he is about to end his letter to the Philippians. But the final part is not, hey, these are my last sentences. No, the final part is he's wrapping up this whole thought process that we've been covering since Philippians 4.1. And here's what he says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is, com- is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul uses this word finally to wrap up God's instructions. And what were his instructions? Let's do this quick review in our minds. You can look at your scripture right there before you. In verse 4, he told us to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, he said, "Be." he didn't say be the most reasonable person in the room. That's kind of how we adapted it. But he was telling us that we should have a reasonableness because we know that the Lord is coming back. And that because of our hope and our faith in Christ, that we should be the most reasonable person in the room. Verse 5. Verse 6, he said, worry about nothing. And in verse 7, he said, you know, that, that we can experience God's peace, the peace of Christ. And so now he's using this word finally to tag all of this together, to wrap all of this up, like he's placed it all in a basket. And all of this is going to be based... A lot of it is going to be indicative of what we're thinking. The battlefield of this mind. This three-pound thing that God in his creation gave us that is bigger than any computer, is more wonderful than anything that we can imagine. The battlefield happens right here. And it reflects then into our heart and to other things. Question this morning. Do you think that the one who created us, the one who made us, the one that breathed life into dust and created Adam and Eve, the one who made our minds, do you think that he knows that we have as many as 70,000 thoughts a day? Do you, th- do you think that he knows what all those thoughts are? Do you think that he actually knows, okay, Bobby, yesterday was an off day. You only had 11,412. And I know every one of those in detail. This is the God we serve. Part of his knowing all things and sovereign over all things. If he knows that, then does he know how to direct our thinking? And that's what he's given us instruction here for, guys. He said, you are going to be thinking. You're going to be thinking about something. Let me give you a direction of how to think about those things that truly will help you produce this peace and feel this peace and experience this peace that I gave to my own son as he approached the cross. That's the promise of God. And so how do we do that? I mean, the truth is, our minds are always thinking. I know there's times that you may question that as you meet other people, but uh, the, the fact is we just do it differently sometimes. Um, wise, have you ever asked your husbands, what are you thinking? And they said, Nothing. And in your mind, you're going, that's impossible. Why? Because you have 
your 70,000 is a conservative number of thoughts that you have every day. And your husband, nothing. Now, I'm not going to contradict that our minds really think of nothing, you know, in a, a continual way. But I can tell you just as a man, there are times that Carly has asked, what are you thinking? Nothing. And I was being completely honest. Men have an ability just to do that. And wives are going, what? How do you think about nothing? I do it rather well. And it comes easy to me. I don't know. Guys, our minds, let's picture it this way. Our our minds are like we jog and we rest. And ladies, you're like on a continual marathon that never ends. A writer said it this way years ago. A, a book came out, not necessarily spiritual in nature, but it's actually been used by a focus on the family and others to, to bring out this truth about how um, men's minds are like waffles and women's minds are like spaghetti. And, and the explanation of that is that we compartmentalize. And, you know, Carly can be talking about something and go, how did you connect this to that? Why? Because those are not even my compartments. I got one compartment over here thinking about the kids and another compartment way over here. But the illustration of this book is that Carly's mind, a female's mind from the most part, is spaghetti. It's somewhere on that plate. Every noodle t- touches every other noodle. And so she can go from the kids to the job to this to, you know... What am I going to cook for supper tonight? Or what am I going to do this? Or what are we doing? All over the place. And I'm going, where did that come from? It's not that we don't think, guys. We think just differently. Truth is, we all think. We may think in different ways, but we are not absent of thought. And so God tells us in verse 8 here, direct those thoughts. What is the actual command in verse 8? I've kind of helped you out a little bit there. What is the actual command? Think about these things. If we wrote this out in the Greek, the Greek is such an expressive language. And guys, when I mention the Greek, we're not trying to show off. We're not trying to you know, say, oh, we know the Greek. I don't know the Greek. I just read a lot, okay? And I can find out. And in the Greek, it's really amazing. If we wrote this out, it was as if we wrote the whole first part of this verse in just regular pen. And then Paul takes a sharpie, you know, one of those big sharpies, and says, think about these things. That's the verb. That's the command. The other one is just kind of illustrative. It's kind of directive of what we think about. But the command in this verse that God has given us is think about these things. It's really, really important for us to understand that. Paul, the, uh, the word that Paul uses here is one of his favorite words. It's only used 40 times in the New Testament, and Paul uses it 34 of the times. It means to dwell on. It means to focus on. It means to direct your mind. And so Paul, knowing that, uses this word, knowing that our minds are not empty of thought, but that we are going to think about something. He says, commands, as God gives us this command, think on these things. And he tells us exactly what to think upon. Let's go down this list. Each one of these descriptions are going to be worthy of a, of a sermon by themselves, but in, in light of time, we're just going to cover all of them today very, very quickly. We can come back and we can have Bible studies on, on those. But he says, first, whatever is true, what's the best source on earth to get things that are true? I mean, really true. The Word of God. 
I will never stop saying that that has to be a constant part of our life if we are going to have spiritual maturity. If you are going to be strong in the Lord, if you're going to be growing in the Lord, you have to be in God's Word. I'm not going to tell you how many minutes a day. I'm not going to tell you exactly how you need to do that because it can be different for each one. We're not going to be legalistic and say, unless you spend five hours in the Word every day, you're just going to be a sinking Christian. No. But let's get the truth of it, guys. We live in a world and we face a foe that Jesus himself, he said, when the devil speaks, he's a liar. That's his very nature. He is deceitful. He is the deceiver. So how do we discern truth and deception? We go to truth and we fill our mind with truth. Second thing that he says there is think upon whatever is honorable. Those things that are worthy of respect. Let me use a word that almost seems outdated these days. Noble. When was the last time, I mean really, in the world that we live, guys, not trying to be a pessimist here, but when was the last time that we really just got impacted by nobility or noble thoughts in this world? Would you agree that they're getting more and more rare? That things are just not noble, they're not respectful. They're not worthy of respect. This, this, this word for honorable there is what he used, uh, Paul used a lot as he wrote, and Timothy used it uh, a lot, or, or he used it as he wrote to Timothy and Titus about uh, leadership in the church, you know, that there should be respect, live a life worthy of respect. And yet, I don't know that nobility is, is really what we see just prevailing out there in the world that we live today. Then he says, whatever is just, you get the thought of justice and the right things happening. But it's not talking about man's justice. It's not talking about my form of justice. It's talking about what does God consider just? And when we think about uh, even our relationships with other people and we, we have maybe squabbles with other people and say, well, God, you just need to do this. Have you ever given God a suggestion of what to do to somebody? I mean, maybe you didn't say it in a prayer. But you thought it in your mind. <laughs> the battlefield of the mind, you're going, God, I wouldn't be upset at all if you just did this to this person. Because that would be justice. And I wonder how many times that we had that fleeting thought or that consistent thought that God would say, okay, do you want me to start doing justice, that form of justice in your life? No, God, I want mercy. I want grace. Think of whatever is just. But not our justice, but God's justice. Third, uh, fourth, whatever is pure. This does have a, a sexual kind of connotation to it, the word that's used there, but it goes beyond that. It's about purity in all thinking. And he says, whatever is lovely, that is, brings love out of my heart. And not only a feeling of love, but the action of love. Think about the things that will reduce the action of love. Not just a feeling, a warm feeling. I mean, we can get that from a Hallmark or from a Publix Thanksgiving commercial. I mean, I can get a warm heart when I just watch a commercial or something like that and go, Ah, how cute. Does it promote me to the action of love? That's what this word means. Think upon those things that not only give you a warm feeling, but they promote you to show the love of Christ in everyday life. And then he says those, whatever is commendable, those things that are worthy of authentic praise. Do the angels have to try to worship in heaven? 
Will you have to try to worship in heaven? Uh, let me relieve all those that are just wondering, is it just going to be like one long sermon? <laughs> one long worship service? More than likely, probably. But here's the thing. Every synapse, every heartbeat, every emotion, every feeling, every thought that you have uh, is going to be compelled by the holiness of God to sing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, are you compelled if your team is winning and they win a national championship and they have this terrific play? Are you compelled to say, okay, we have to stand up and go, yay team. Or is there a response that is what you see and what you experience that something within you goes, yes! There's authenticity there. There's reality. Nobody poked you and said, okay, this is the time we stand up and go, go team. But there was something inside you in that excitement and that passion that you had that you said, yes! And I promise you guys, worship will not be work in heaven. And here he says, you know, start practicing even now. Those things, think upon those things that are commendable, worthy of authentic praise. And then he goes on and he says, if anything is anything that's excellent or worthy of praise, think on these things. Now let me kind of, we've gone through the list. That was the description. The command was what? Think on these things. And it's a very direct command. Now let's put this all together. He is giving us an offensive strategy instead of just a defensive strategy. Many of us grew up, and if we grew up in the church, don't think about this, don't say that word, don't look at this. How many things that we were saying, okay, we, we kind of played Christian defense. Don't do this and don't do that. And is that appropriate? Yes. (laughs) Don't say that word. Don't look at that. Okay, that's appropriate, okay? But we got into this mode, guys, of living the Christian life defensively. And and here Paul is saying, no, live it offensively. Don't just stay away from these thoughts, but fill your mind with these truths. We kind of grew up going, don't do this, don't do that. And he's saying, do this. He's given us some strategy to fill our minds with something, not just play defense against negative or bad thoughts. What thoughts will you have today? See, the question is not, will you have thoughts today? What kind of thoughts are you going to have? Now, don't get me wrong, guys. This is not positive thinking. There there is a Christian version of positive thinking, but it's different from kind of the world's version of just think positive thoughts. I'm positive we're all going to die. You know, you you can be, you know, it's not that kind of thing, okay? What he's saying is, okay, fill your mind with truth or you will leave yourself open for lies. Have you found that to be true in your spiritual life, guys? That if you don't fill your hearts with the truth of the promises of God and the ways of God, then you've opened yourself up to worry and doubt, anxiety, and all those things that we talked about. See the connection? So yes, we play defense. 
something. We get to play offense, guys. We get to be actively filling our minds with, with those things that will produce spiritual maturity. Let me give you an illustration of this, of sometimes how we play this out. Parents. What is the answer if you want spiritual maturity and growth in your child's life? Is it only keeping them away from the bad kids? The preacher's kids. I mean, sometimes, I mean, we had to restrict our kids sometimes and go, okay, you know, they're just not a good influence on you. And so we're not saying that we don't do some of that, but will that by itself, just restricting them from bad behavior, bad influence, make sure that they will have spiritual growth and maturity? No, you've got to fill them with the hope of the gospel. It's not just to avoid this. It is, here's the truth of God. Here's the hope of Christ. And as we fill our children's hearts and minds with the hope of Christ, and I just, I mean, I hope that you do have the discretion and the wisdom to say they're not a good influence on you. You you really don't need to be hanging out with them. Be friendly to them. Be Christ-like to them. But you really don't need to be spending four or five hours a day with them. Folks, that's perfectly good. But understand that that by itself is not the answer. God has given us the answer and it's right here. Man, just be in my word and, and believe the things about me. And I would direct you in truth. What's really interesting is God's way of thinking about peace is really the opposite of, of what the world thinks. I mean, you go to yoga class or you go to, to certain uh, forms of meditation and, and their command is, okay, you want peace? Empty your mind. Have you ever seen that? I mean, heard about it? Just empty your mind. Nothingness. That's not biblical, guys. God says, no, you don't empty. No, you fill. And you fill it with God's truth. The answer isn't finding some utopia. And so every monk, do you think they have to contend with their thoughts, even though they are in a place maybe of confirmed silence and they're separated from the world? Do you think that monks still have to contend with thought life in the battlefield of the life? Sure they do. It's not just getting away. It's not just finding the cabin in the woods. I mean, one of my discipleship guys, we were talking about that this week, that every inclination of Bobby Lankas right now at 60 years of age, go find a little cabin in the woods, have a place where my, my kids and their families can do, and just hide out until Jesus comes. I mean, it really is a strong compulsion in my heart, and yet it's not biblical, especially to the call that God has placed upon my heart and my life. But I can promise you this. Even if Carly and I did that, we would still have a battleground out there in the middle of nowhere. Nobody else a hundred miles away. I can promise you, we would not take away the battleground of the mind. Romans 12.2. Look for this in this passage. Is he saying empty your mind or is he saying to fill your mind. You make the determination. Okay, look at this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Empty your mind? No. 
Transform your mind. By what? By, by looking at what God has said is right and good and pure and holy. And that's where peace that surpasses understanding comes from. Oh, because all of a sudden that financial worry went away? No, I just know that God's a provider. Well, you can have your little Christian dream then. No, I have my hope in Christ. He's given me spiritual victory and he will give me, he'll take good care of me. He made that promise that if he watches over the birds, he's certainly watching over me. Guys, it's either real or it's not. Either those words are just fit for a storybook or they are the breath of life for the hope of the Christian. Listen by doing this little experiment. Just, I want you to really grab hold that we're not seeking nothingness in here. <laughs> Think of an elephant. Put, put, a, put a thought of an elephant in your mind. Big ears, trunk, you know, ivory tusk. Now stop thinking about an elephant. How many of you are just a little bit still thinking about an elephant? <laughs> How many of you are thinking about, is he ever going to be done? How many of you are thinking about what's for dinner today? But did your mind go to zero blank nothingness? Let me see how fast your mind can be transformed. Think of a tropical beach. Think of clear blue waters. Think of sand and and sun and gentle waves. For us older ones, the smell of Hawaiian tropic suntan lotion in the background. (laughs) Why we went from elephant to a tropical beach? By the power of what we filled our mind with, power of suggestion, a picture. But did we ever stop thinking? No, even when I said stop. The command here is not stop thinking. The command is direct your thoughts. And he gives us a full description of what you and I are to command, command it to think upon this week, to fill our minds with. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, today, thank you that uh, your word, deep in theology, your word, deep in, in, in truth, Father, is also deeply, deeply practical. Father, we understand what that looks like, that we just don't stop thinking, that that's not the answer. But Father, that your answer is is for us to very much, Father, to, to think upon the things that are your truth. So Father, today, will you help us to live that out this week? Father, will you help us to take this little experiment this morning and, and Father, put it into action. That as we think about, for example, Father, your love for us, that we will be spurned into action to love others. Father, as we think about your grace, that we will be more graceful to other people. And Father, we when we think about how you have been just to us by providing one who would pay for our sins that Father when we want justice for others 
that, Father, we will remind ourselves of the grace that you've given us. Father, you've given us a hope. And it's not just hope in words. It is a living hope in the person of Jesus Christ. His supremacy and his sufficiency truly able to give us an answer to the worries and anxieties that we battle with every single day. Father, we thank you for this living hope of Christ Jesus. We celebrate him. We make much of him. We worship him this day, Father, as we pray all this in the beauty of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.